hearing a message someday and, and just something that was said gave you another tool to beat your situation. Or it may be, you know, I heard there was, how many women at that spiritual warfare, huh? They had 32 women at the spiritual warfare class on Tuesday night. And you can still get in that class. In fact, Carmen thinks it's going to be up around 40 this week. That's great. Come, because sometimes things are spiritual. And then another thing, another thing you have to do sometimes if you're dealing with depression or panic attacks or, or, or different sins in your, in your life or things you're trying to overcome, sometimes it's listing, you, 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 sometimes you, you stop and you say, why am I feeling this way? And then after you say, why am I feeling, because emotions are always an indicator, you stop and you say, why am I feeling this way? And then after you say, why am I feeling this way, then ask yourself, what are you thinking about? Because what you're feeling is what you're thinking about nine times out of ten. And so then you take, you, you, your emotions are going off, then you think about what you're feeling, and then the next thing you do is you can, you can take what you're thinking and you can reframe your mind with what the Word says. Or you can reframe your mind because it, it, the enemy and, and your mind will tell you, this is a catastrophe. It's never going to get better. Oh, I might as well give up all this, this, because you're emotionally just crazed, okay? But then you start renewing your mind with the word and reframing what you're thinking. And sometimes those are techniques. We're talking about ways that you can get free. Sometimes it's techniques that help you get free. But sometimes it's spiritual warfare. Not every time, but sometimes it's spiritual warfare. Sometimes, sometimes I'll feel a certain way and I'll ask myself, why you, what are you thinking about? And then I'll look at what I'm thinking about, and I'll line my thinking up with what God's Word says, or I'll reframe my thinking about what's really happened, because most of your thinking is a lie, and it's not even true. So you, re, you reframe what you're thinking, and sometimes that technique, it's, it's done. It's It's, it's over. But sometimes I do that, listen to me, sometimes I do that and it doesn't work. And so what I'll do is I'll go, lying spirits, go now. Deceiving spirits, go now. Spirits that are causing anxiety, spirits that are causing uh, uh, fear and timidity, go now. I actually wished it was spiritual because that one's easier. When it's spiritual, boom, it's gone immediately. You can feel horrible. You can feel emotionally. You can feel fatigued. You can feel horrible. But if it's spiritual, you can say go, and it's instant. So what I've learned to do is, is in these techniques, I think there's about nine things. I think there's deliverance. I think there's inner healing. I think there's talking to each other. I think there's, there's is it spiritual? Um, is it something you need to reframe and, and, and do some techniques with? Is it, I, I mean, there's all different kinds of stuff. It, it can be diet. You know what you put in your body can affect your dreams and, and the things going on? It can be diet. It, it can be exercise. There, there, so to me, if you're saying, I want to rebuild, I want to take the city, Nehemiah had an exhaustive plan. It wasn't one thing. 
It wasn't one thing. I feel this in the spirit strong today. I'm not even getting to my message because I feel this so strong today. It wasn't any one thing. We, 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 we want to, something happens a certain way, and we want to take that certain way and use it every time. I'm learning for spiritual wholeness that it could be a genre of several things that I need to do. And so that's why if you're serious, if you are serious about your addiction, if you, here, here's another one of the nine, um, accountability. More than accountability, how about correctability? Because everybody always says, oh, I'm accountable, but don't you dare correct me. There's a difference between accountability and correctability. So it could be, so, so, so Nehemiah's plan was exhaustive. It was big. If you're serious about addiction, what's your plan? What's your diet going to be? Are you going to beef up on spiritual warfare? Maybe the addiction that you have is because you need inner healing. Maybe the addiction you have, you need a deliverance. You need to, maybe you need to learn some techniques when you're fighting your addiction to where when this happens, this is my road and what I do about it. Maybe I need accountability. Maybe I need correctability. Are you all with me today? I'm really, I'm really feeling this strong today. That it, it, it's several things. We want a one size fits all. And it doesn't. It can be, are you serious about your marriage? Don't, don't give me that blow in the smoke, poop, puff mouth stuff. Are you serious about your marriage? What's your plan? People say, oh, I want my marriage to be healed. What's your plan? Nehemiah had a plan. You serious about your business taking off? You need a plan. You think Church on the Rock just happened? God's grace is why Church on the Rock happened, but His grace also helps you to lead, plan, and have the strength to carry out and execute what He gives you to do. Okay? So, so what's your plan? What's your plan of addiction breakage? What's your plan of, of, of restoring a relationship? What's your plan? What's your plan? That's what message, really, to be honest with you, I just explained it better right there than you would be listening to the CD. That's a better explanation of CD3. Okay? But um, we could stay there, but I'm going to push forward. Nehemiah, let's look at Nehemiah 2.10. But when Sanballat and the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite, the officials, everybody says, heard of my arrival. They were very displeased that someone came to help. What happened here is Nehemiah, the, the, these guys signify the uh, opposition or the people that's going to stand in your way of getting where you need to be. That could be a devil. That could be you, yourself. That could be people around you. So you, you fill in who these guys are. Are you the problem? Others around you? Uh, what, what, so, so, so the enemy, but anyway, all of a sudden Nehemiah makes the naughty list and, and brothers and sisters, the enemy heard that he was doing this and he made that naughty list. And I was sitting there thinking, that's a list. Congratulations. That's a list that I want to make. 
In fact, we need more Christians on the naughty list who hear and see something needs to be right in society, who hear and see something needs to be right in their family, who hear and see something needs to be right in their marriage or in their life, and they, they, they decide to do something about it. But when that happens, these guys are going to perk up, and they're going to hear you're doing it, and they're going to try to stop you because now you are known in hell. You're known in hell. But uh, I, I wonder if I'm known in hell. You know, a group of Drew, Jews were traveling through, through some towns, going town to town, casting out evil spirits. How'd, like, how'd you like to have a job like that? What do you do for a living? Well, I cast out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus, in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out. The seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, they were doing this. But one time when they tried it, an evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who in the world are you? And they proceeded to beat them, strip them, and run them out of town. But I want to ask you, does the enemy, are you known in hell? Is there something that you're doing with your life that's making a difference to where all hell is trying to stop you? Amen. We need to be tagged and known in hell. We need to be tagged troublemakers. If you remember last week, I took a couple weeks off this series. I talked about how Elijah came and King Ahab said, oh, you're the one that's trouble in Israel. And Elijah, in his boldness, he said, oh, no, I'm not the one trouble in Israel. You're the troublemaker of Israel. But brothers and sisters, I think we need some more uh, hell raisers. I think we need some more people that'll raise up and where you're known in hell and that something's moving in you that where they know about you and they know that you're wanting to make a change. I believe that. Number two, it says opposition. Once that happens, there's going to be, first they heard about it and you were on the enemy watch list. Naughty, naughty, you're on the enemy watch list. The enemy knows what you're trying to do. I want to be on that list. Number two, the opposition comes through intimidation and the question of lordship. But when Sambalot, Tobia, these guys, they heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. Scoff means mocked, ridiculed, laughed, poked fun, made fun of us. Contemptuously means in a condescending, like sneering way. <laughs> you really think so? A disrespectful way. They were trying to intimidate these guys. And how many of you hear that intimidation loud in your head? And sometimes you even see it real time. How many of you hear it when you're trying to do something great for the Lord or you're trying to change your life? How many hear that in your head? You hear this scoffing and this, and this, really? You're going to think you're going to do anything? You hear this in your head and also real time. But secondly, there was a question. So the first thing is they did that, and then they questioned their lordship. They questioned their legal right. Are you forgetting who you belong to? Again, this is the enemy. Are you forgetting who you belong to? Listen to this. Historically, you have been my claim. Think about that when you're wanting to change your life. The enemy says, historically, you're mine. You're my claim. I own you, you are my servants. So how do we respond to this type of opposition? How do we respond to, we made the enemy watch list, the naughty list. I want to be on that list. Anybody here want to be on that list? 
Just know when you're on that list, you better be close to God. You're going to need God's grace and God's strength even more. Are you all with me? Don't, st- don't be like the sons of Sceva and say, Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you? In other words, you're not at his feet. You're not close to him. You'll get stripped, beaten, and ran out of town. But if you want to be, I want to be on the enemy's list, but I also want to be at Jesus' feet so I can be ready to be on that list. Are you all with me? Okay, so uh, anyway, uh, how do we respond to this type of oppositions? You have to know who you are in Christ. Look at this, Nehemiah 2.10. I replied, or 2.20. I replied, the God of heaven, good, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, we will start rebuilding this wall, but you have no share. Look at this. You have no share no legal right or historical claim in Jerusalem. Somebody say, in me. In me. Okay? So the first thing it says is the God of heaven will help us succeed. It says we, the God of heaven. And what that means is grace defined. Grace is, everybody write this down if you don't know it. To succeed, we need God's grace. Grace is undeserved, unmerited unearned spiritual favor and blessing with the Lord. So God's favor and spiritual blessing was with Nehemiah. If you read up when Nehemiah asked, he asked for it in prayer in chapter one, but then he stood and went to his king and, and, and he had favor and spiritual blessings because he was a cupbearer. He was a slave to a king, giving the king the wine. But he prayed about it and because he was in God's grace, the king said this, you can go You can not only go, I'm going to send my army to protect you. And then the king said, I'm going to pay for the wood and all the the things you need to build that wall. I'm going to send a letter with you, and here it is. So when you start, get on that naughty list and you start moving, you have to know that you're going to have grace to succeed. Is anybody, are, are we, is this absorbing? We need grace to succeed. We need God's unmerited, unearned. We need his help and his strength to do it, his favor on us, okay? Joseph said in Genesis 39-2, the Lord was with Joseph, therefore he was a successful successful man. So God being with you, and keep in mind when Joseph said that he was a successful man, he was a slave, he'd just been thrown in 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 a hole by his brothers, sold into slavery, and everything ripped from him, and his dad thought he was dead, and he was written off humanity. But the Bible says God was with him, and so he was a successful man. So grace to succeed is God with you. You want to succeed in your business. You want to succeed in your marriage. You want to succeed in relationship. The answer, grace, the answer is God's grace in us to succeed. Are you all there? I say Amen. The second thing he said, on how do we respond to this criticism and this opposition? First, we say, God is going to give me grace to succeed. And then the second thing we do is we say, we are his servant. Remember, the enemy was questioning kingship. Don't you know that you're my claim and that we, we're your king? Historically, we are your king. You are the servants. We're, I'm the king. You're the servants. That's the way it is. 
Okay, but what does it mean? We are his servant. So then, so so what Nehemiah did is he said that it's no longer like that. That we are gods. And to me, the second reason on how do we get through this is what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean? To be able to overcome this opposition, we have to be in Christ. We have to be his servants. You know, Paul could have opened his letter saying, I'm apostle, I'm this, I'm that. But most of the time he said, I'm a bond servant. I'm a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. To me, if you want to win in the things of God, we have to have a servant's attitude. We have to know who owns us. And, 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 And this personal autonomy Personal autonomy that our world tells us to have needs to go in kingdom world. You don't have personal autonomy. You're his. To me, the battle why people can't go forward in things in life, to me what the problem is is they've never been crucified with Christ. You know why some of you can't make it in your faith walk? You've never been crucified. You're like, hey, Jesus, I'm going to be a Christian. I want to tag that and things I'm doing, and Jesus is with me. Come follow me, and I'm going to stay the same person and do whatever I want. There's no change, and there's no call to discipleship. There's none. When you come to Christ, you're to drop everything, do a 180, and you become a follower of his teaching, a follower of the way of Jesus Christ. It's no, this personal autonomy's got to go. In fact, Scripture says that, that when you lose your life is really when you gain it. Okay, so we are his servants. Paul, Paul called himself a bond servant. Paul was using this terminology to designate, to designate any and all who serve God as free bond slaves. That is, as those who are free in Christ Jesus but have used their freedom They don't use their freedom to perform the duties of of a slave in the service of God and his people. Look at Exodus 21, 5 through 6. It says this, but a slave may declare, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I don't want to go free. This is me. I love my God. I love the wife and the children and the life he's given me. I don't want to be free. If he does this, his master must present him before God. Then his master must take him to the door or the doorpost, to me that's the cross, the door, the doorpost, and publicly pierce his ear with an awl. Publicly pierce his ear with an awl. After that, the slave will willingly serve his master for life. A description of a bond slave. I want you to write some of these scriptures down. I didn't write them down because I wanted you to write them down because then you'll look them up and it can be a practice we do this week. Here's a description of a bond slave in Jesus. Number one, you're the property of the owner. Christians can't be owned by anyone else. Write this scripture down, Romans 6, 12 through 14. You're the property of the owner. A bond slave obeys his masters. Obedience indicates servanthood. Romans 6, 16. A slave is purchased Bought with the price. We have been bought with the price of Christ's death. 1 Corinthians 6, 20. A slave can gain freedom after six years of service. Serving Christ is a choice of the will. It is not forced on anyone. 
And it is a commitment that lasts forever. Romans 6, 12. Slavery was the lowest position of society in that day. In God's kingdom, slavery to Christ indicates greatness. Matthew 20, 26 through 28. A slave serves because he loves his master so much. And servanthood brought him so much happiness. The reason a, a, a bond servant, the reason he did that is because serving his master brought him so much joy. Matthew 24, 46. I'm a bond slave of the Lord. It brings me great joy to serve the Lord. I love this one. A slave can only be judged by his master. Can only, we can only be judged by Jesus at the judgment seat of, of Christ. And how many know that Jesus is a throne of grace? Because Revelations talks about it's a throne of grace. I'll tell you what, I think Church on the Rock, I think it's time to get the alls out. And I think it's time for every one of us to line up and get our ears pierced on the cross of Jesus Christ and identify that we are his servants and that he is the Lord of us. And we do that willingly. Amen. Let me tell you about the enemy of your soul. The enemy of your soul, the enemy, listen to this. The devil knows the rules of engagement. Don't think he doesn't. Don't think the devil doesn't know that. He knows the rules of engagement. The enemy understands authority. The, en- the, the enemy knows his rights and he knows his claims. He knows that. That's why 1 Peter 5, 8 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls like, he prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone he can devour. Always know that the devil is always an imitator. He goes around like a roaring lion with a big roar. But he has no power. And the true lion is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And his name is Jesus Christ. The enemy is an accuser of the brethren. He accuses you. He'll even come first voice in your head accusing you. The Bible says in Revelation, the accuser of the brothers and sisters has been thrown down to this earth. He accuses the Lord day and night at the throne of God. He comes, the enemy comes to deceive and to cloud your thinking and your understanding. I thought about this when I thought about playing football. How many of you guys played football? Remember how we used to watch film and you could study your opponent? I'm telling you, the enemy has film on every one of you. He knows. He has film on He knows your buttons to push. He knows your weak points. He knows your vulnerabilities. And this one hits me hard. In fact, I'm getting chills just thinking about the next thing I'm going to say. Sometimes I don't, I think we know this, but I don't think we know it or something. Listen to this. The enemy or the devil, listen to this. He is not God. He's not a God. He's not God. For some reason, the church like equals, like Jesus and the devil are brothers. And whoever's stronger that day wins. 
The devil is a created being. He's a created, he's created. He is not a God. You do not bow down to him. He, he, he roars and makes you think he's a God. And he seems big and, and, and strong and all this, but he's weak. And, and he's somebody that we can overthrow every time through Jesus Christ. He is not a God. This story gives us, I wanted to define the enemy, but this story gives us three proclamations. I just wrote this this morning, this, because it hit me so hard. This scripture gives us three proclamations of emancipation. This is a good proclamation of emancipation. Well, so is the, the other one, too. That was a good one, too. But yeah, trust me, that was a good one. But this is a good emancipation, a proclamation that we need to know and declare. Look at this. I replied, the God of heaven will help me succeed. We just learned what that is today. Number two, we are his servants. How many say we learned what that was today? We will start rebuilding. Look at this. And this is why I... I gave you a description of the enemy because he says to the enemy, you have no share. Guys, I've been reading the Bible a long time. That jumped off the pages at me about a month ago. Devil, you have no share. You have no share. The reason I told you the devil knows the rules of engagement, he knows the rules of engagement. He knows his boundaries, but he will step over your every boundary until you know his boundaries. And you say no, because the thief cometh but to, for, for to steal, kill, and destroy. One time I had a vision it, when I was about 22 years old. I had a vision, and I was standing there, and, and this, these robbers were, came in and just took everything out of my house. And, and then in the, in the vision, in the vision, they took everything out of my house. And in the vision, I had a, a picture on the wall with a, a safe behind the picture. And, and I said, oh, you, you ought to take that picture. It's worth a lot of money. And then they took the picture, and I said, oh, and, and also the, the, the combination to the safe is 2214. That, that's how much we help the enemy. Oh, you, yeah, take that picture. Oh, by the way, the, the, the wealth and, and everything I have, here's a combination. And we just bow. No. He has no share. He has no share. Proclamation of emancipation, number one, I would write this down as you have no share in me. I'm completely his. Declare that with me. Say it. You have no share in me. I'm completely his. Say it again. You have no share in me. I'm completely his. It's a declaration. You know, Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. He said, he wrote to those who were in Christ at Philippi. Listen to this. Notice they are in Christ and they are at Philippi. They could have been at any place. It doesn't matter where you're at today. Are you all with me on this? You can be at Wits in. You can be at drug addiction. You can be at divorce. You can be at, you, you can be at, I lost my job. It doesn't matter where you're at. They could be at any place. 
Though it's not good grammar, let me say it's not where you're at, but it's who you're in. That's important. It's not where you're at, but it's who you're in. That's important. In Christ, personally, I consider this little word, in, to be one of the most important words in the whole New Testament. J. Vernon McGee said that. It's not where you're at, but it's who are you in that makes a difference. Proclamation number two, you have no legal right. You're trespassing. You're breaking the law of the Spirit that has set me free from sin and death. I declare this. You have no legal right. I'm telling you, the enemy knows the rules. If you stand up and say, you have no legal right in my house. You have no legal right on my teenagers. You have no legal right in my marriage. Brothers and sisters, we need to know some spiritual war. You have no legal right in this addiction that I'm facing in my body. You have no right. You have no legal right to be in front of me with your stupid, ugly finger pointing in my nose to accuse me. You have no right to stand even in this room and accuse me. I'm a child of God. You have no right. Are you a tither? Are you a giver of your money? Enemy, you have no right to spoil, take what is mine. In fact, what you've taken, given it back seven times and seven times more. You have no right. He'll take, 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 take. He'll take, 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 take. Until we die, 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 die. And give, 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 give our hearts to the Lord. And then we'll succeed, succeed, succeed in him. Colossians 2, 13 and 14, it says, Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. Remember I said he has no legal right. He canceled the records of charges against you. He, cha- he, he cancels the record of charges against you, and he took it and nailed it to the cross. Proclamation number three. Historically, you've been under my rule and under my power, the enemy says. But the Bible says in Colossians, the enemy says, historically, you've been under my power. But here's what you say to that. In the same way, Christ disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Do you think it's going to change The enemy will say, do you think it's going to change? Historically, you're mine. Historically, your marriage is mine. Historically, your children are mine. Do you think it's going to change? Would somebody say yes? It's going to change, by golly. Because Jesus Christ secured change. And Jesus Christ gave us grace to succeed hallelujah and they said let's build you know I've just been feeling the Holy Spirit say that it's time to build you know our nation went through 
and, and I don't want to get in an argument on this. This is just kind of my take on it. And I may be um, ignorant. I'm, I mean, I may be ignorant on this because I don't really study the news and all that stuff. Because to me, it's, I can't deal with all the corruptness. And well, anyway. Um, but it seems to me, our nation suffered a, a pretty hard breakdown. And I think we'd all agree with that. And even when I travel, you can just feel towns that are depressed. In fact, um, the large cities, when it, the breakdown happened, it affected the large cities first. But my, my brothers and dads, where they live in these rural cities, they're kind of getting this aftermath of things, and their towns are dying, and there's no work, and the little towns are, are still suffering quite pretty hard. But it seems like God wants to, that things are changing. And even when we, Carmen and I, man, Brad, thank you, Brad and Rebecca, they sent us to the Chicago Bears game Thursday night. It was awesome getting to watch the Bears. But um, when we were walking around, I was like, man, there's building going on everywhere. Buildings and building and building. And I could be wrong. We may not be coming back. I don't know. But the thought hit me when I was walking in Chicago. I kept hearing the Lord say, you've suffered long enough. The breakdown, there's a brokenness in people. It's time to rebuild. I've been hearing it's time to rebuild. And sometimes, some of the times we're afraid to try because every time we tried before, it didn't work too good. But I think we need to try again. I believe it's time to rebuild. In fact, I think we don't need to try. I think we need to follow this feed his servants and depend on him and his grace to help us succeed. And, and, uh, but anyway, with every head bowed, eyes closed, how many just sense that you've had some years, you've had some years of pain and you've had some years of torture and you've had some years of not understanding why this is happening and things seem to be going, taking a course that you've really not enjoyed being along for the ride on. Would you raise up your hand and say, man, I have hope in my heart today. I have hope in my heart today that things are changing. Things are changing in me and through me and in my situation. And I'm going to have a testimony of the goodness and greatness of God. Oh, I feel a strong, I feel a strong impartation of strength from the Lord. It's hitting you right where you're at. It's hitting you right where you're at. You're getting an infusion of strength right now. You're getting an infusion of faith. Receive it. Say, fill me, Lord. You're getting an infusion right now where you're setting of hope and a better day. You're getting an infusion of this right now because this is God's grace reaching out to you. Just receive it right where you're at. Receive it. Say, Lord, I receive this. I receive this. I receive this. I receive your hope. I receive your confidence. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And the second part of this grace to succeed, the second part of this is that crucified with Christ. 
that's surrendering to his lordship. Because there is a question of lordship here. But when, when there's a question of lordship, the enemy will mess you up. When, when he thinks that you, there's a question, who's, who's really lord of that person's life? Man, he'll wreak havoc on you. Is there a question of lordship? Do you have one foot in the world and one foot with God? Are you trying to live two lives? You need to come completely to the Lord with your own self-will and become a bondservant today. Who says, I want to yield? And I, I, the question of lordship, Jesus has been my savior, but he hadn't been my Lord. Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. Lordship of Christ, the lordship of Christ. That's a big one. That's humility. You're choosing the lordship of Christ. And the third thing that needs to happen today is you need to, let's stand to our feet right now. You need to stand to your feet and you need to renounce the enemy. Say, devil, I renounce you attacking my marriage. I renounce you thinking that you can kill me with these addictions. Say it with your mouth right now. I renounce you. Drug addiction does not have a hold on me. Pornography does not have a hold on me. Say it out loud. It does not have a hold on me. You have no legal right. If you are, if you're sitting in shame and guilt and depression today, right now, say you have no legal right to accuse me. My sins have been paid for it. I declare it. My sins have been paid for. My sins have been paid for. My pardon has been secured. I am free in Christ. Declare that. Say you have no right over my children. Say, you have no place in my home. You have no place in my business. You have no place in my finances. Put your foot down on the enemy and take the ground of the Lord today. Take the ground of the Lord today. I think you're crazy, Pastor. Well, your way ain't working. Try what the Bible says. This is the Bible way. This is the Bible way. Walk out of your valley today. Walk out of here with new grace. Walk out of here with new freedom. Walk out of here today with change and hope and restoration today. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. For you especially, especially you that said, I need to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. I really want you to take communion today. And, and, and take the bread and say, this is the body of Christ, which is broken for me. The blood of the new covenant forgives me. Prayer team is going to be up here. We will pray for you for as long as we'll stay for hours. Prayer team, come. Communion's open to everyone. If you need to just talk to God, the sides are open if you want to be alone. Prayer team's coming up. If you need agreement, some of you need to say agreement and come up to this prayer team and say, the devil's not having my children. The devil's not having this. Pray with our prayer team. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. Holy Spirit, draw people, and we thank you for the victory in God. Hallelujah. Communion.